Well, hello, I'm Mary Beth Kingston, the Chief Nursing Officer at Advocate Health and your host for the Outcomes Rocket series focused on awareness and solutions for workplace violence, specifically in healthcare. And today I'm fortunate to be joined by Karen Garvey. Just a, a few brief words about Karen. I could go on, but I'll keep it brief. Karen is the Vice President for Safety and Clinical Risk Management at Parkland Health in Dallas. She has a broad set of responsibilities, but a key area of, of hers is workforce safety. She's an accomplished leader in this space. She serves as an advisory member for the Institute of Healthcare Improvements Workplace Safety uh, team. She actively participates in the American Hospital Association, Hospitals Against Violence Advisory Group, and she shares her expertise as she is doing with us today as a national speaker and an author. So Karen, I'm just delighted that you can spend some time with us today, really to discuss this critically important issue of workplace violence in healthcare settings. You know, this really is not a new issue, but today it's become a top priority for many in healthcare. Um, and I don't think the public and in general, people know a whole lot about it. So um, I thought maybe we could just start with some of the basics. And how do you define workplace violence in healthcare? You know, thank you, Mary Beth. It's really a pleasure to be here and to be able to talk with you about this really, really important issue. And, you know, as you've said, this has been around for decades in healthcare, and it's just not been very well publicized outwardly um, and kind of hidden behind the walls of what we do every day in taking care of patients. But I think the pandemic has really brought it out into more public view where there is a lot more um, focus in the reporting and people are actually seeing it. But when you think of violence in healthcare, um, it is, you know, it it's verbal. It's verbal assaults that are going on, racial slurs, gender slurs, um, cultural slurs. It's things that, you know, people really don't think that they should be um, uh, having to deal with every single day. It's physical as well. The physical component of people being hurt, bit, choked. Um, unfortunately, there are some um, episodes of documented rapes that have occurred of healthcare uh, professionals in some in, in some organizations that have really brought this to light by both the federal um, oversight agencies as well as some of their accreditation agencies. But you know, it's it's how they manage our our um, just in general. Are they breaking our equipment? Are they destructive? Uh, which unfortunately with the way the pandemic has kind of put us in a, in, a, in a position today is that people have really been challenged with um, the stress of COVID, um, the loss of jobs, um, you know, having to manage children at home for schools at one point in time, although we're in a different place today. But people's coping mechanisms have really been challenged and the mental health component has really come to a surface for us to be able to be, to see this so visually, not just within healthcare, but think about what we've seen in road rage, the airline industry with the disruptive passengers. It's happening all around us. It's interesting um, as you discuss this, I think when when you hear the word violence, you think of physical violence and always punching, kicking, those kind of things. And that indeed is happening. But I think it's very important that you mentioned this other piece, which is intimidation, um, harassment, um, 
name calling, which when I talk to many folks in the healthcare field and in my role, particularly nurses, they find that day in and day out that that really Mm -hmm. is stressful and actually causes many people to leave their jobs. And that's been one of the hardest things to get people to report, you know, knowing that we want to know what these signals are that people are experiencing. And certainly as I've delved into this more in the more recent years, even more, I am I am appalled by what our employees, our, our workforce are, are actually subject to every single day to see the comments that are just obscene and to realize that people have to continue to work in this environment. But, you know, when it comes down to people that may be intentional in how they're provoking this, uh, this violence, the abuse, and then they're, you know, they may be looked at differently when you look at people that may have dementia that may be inflicting harm in, in a non-intentional way, but equally they, they are assault regardless of how you look at them. So to get people to report the the the, the verbals has been a, a huge challenge. I know in our organization, but we've made extensive progress um, with efforts to get people to report them because we know that those, as you mentioned, that can have a psychological component that can be much more longstanding than a physical assault. Yeah. So so we know it's not a new problem, and we know it's it's always been said that it's underreported because. There are certain processes that people have to go through in terms of reporting things in the workplace. But can you give us an idea of what some of the current statistics are? Um, again, knowing they're probably underreported. When you look at, the, you know, the Department of Labor who actually published the statistics, and I think the last report came out in, 2000, in 2021, where the next report is due to come out in the next couple of months. The healthcare industry has been um, much higher, almost 10 times higher than general business and industry. And, you know, even when I talk with my family and my friends and they ask about some of the work I do and I mention this, they look at me like, are you crazy? You know, this actually goes on and it, and it does. But, you know, if you think about an event that happened earlier this year in January, which was a, a mushroom farmer in Northern California that cited workplace violence for the assault that he had taken on his and his colleagues. It's happening in in general areas. Um, and just you know, you think about the people that are fired that come back that that have a, a, a you know in with a vengeance. This is happening all around us. Mm-hmm. Um, but but healthcare in general, this is a much higher. It, it is much higher, as I mentioned. Um, when you look at those who report these events, who who are the victims, it is much more people that are clinically based physicians. Nurses are much are I think the highest. But even of the nursing groups, if you look at the surgical air, the surgical areas versus the psychiatric or psych or the emergency department, you will see that the psychiatric departments and the emergency departments have much higher incidences of, of this. And it and it may be because of the, the personnel or the, the the individuals or the patients that they're dealing with as they come in. Um, but you are seeing this bubbling out into the medical, surgical, and the obstetric areas too, ambulatory spaces. Um, and you think about those who are not necessarily in a, in a building, per se. Um, hospitals and community-based um, care has moved into the home setting. So those folks who are out in the social setting are even highly are, are also highly vulnerable. And yet they may not be as, a, as acutely in our scope of view that we also need to be looking at as well. 
Um, so we do see this psychiatric aid. The, the, the people that tend to sit more closely with the patients to monitor their, for their safety um, that are right on top of them, the, the patient safety assistants, the, me, the mental health technicians in the behavioral health areas, those folks are also um, are more prone to being injured because they're of the, of the, pro, the close proximity as well as the acuteness um, than other, other healthcare workers. So we, this is national data, but we are also seeing the same thing in our own organization that mirrors national data. Our police officers who also intervene, we have our own police force here, which we're very fortunate to have. They're, they're awesome when it comes to being very patient-centric, but as they go to try to intervene, they're our third highest individuals who are reported to have injuries in our organization. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting because when you think about um, the rising incivility in our, just in our society and the violence in general, and then you layer on the fact that when you're in a healthcare setting, it's often um, a difficult, it can be a difficult situation with emotions running high, whether it's a, a difficult diagnosis or something has occurred in your life that has brought you um, into the healthcare setting. Who, who is, who are the folks that are really engaged and involved in, in workplace violence incidents? Is it patients? What, where, what are you seeing in your, in your situation? In the, the majority of them are patients. Um, when they second, and then the second is the visitors that accompany the patients. And then thirdly, it would be on employee on employee, which is, which is to a much lesser level. I'm thinking this, but um, patients that are approaching that want immediate care. I mean, you know, we're a uh, safety net facility. We we have the busiest emergency department, standalone emergency department in the nation with about 250,000 visits a year. Their waits are long. Sometimes they're, they're you know, anywhere from 12 to 24 hours. Um, so frustrations can rise and certainly watching waiting rooms to see when are they going to be seen next is, 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 um, is something that we have to be constantly surveillancing. Um, but when it comes to, you know, just um, some of the things that, you know, we're dealing with in society, this is a full court press and people that are working on violence in our organization are not just me and the person who works in the, as the manager. Even as I presented, presented this to our board last week, it's very, it, it, it's encompassing for physical, physical security and safety, which is our environmental safety um, colleagues. It's our police force. It's our leadership and our board's um, support of some of the, you know, the, the necessity for items of, that we need to bring in um, for technology or, you know, med, um, weapons detection systems and things like that that are out there now. Um, it's also our, our, um, our employees. We get a lot of feedback from our employees on whether we're, we're meeting the grade or not. We, we include them in, in focus groups to look at our policies to give us feedback before we actually implement them and put them in. And it's frontline people because they're the ones who, are, who need them. Um, it's working with our, our physicians and colleagues, our nursing leaders. Um, it's working with our legal department to make sure that we're interpreting the, the law, uh, the regulations correctly, our regulatory department. Um, it's, it's so many people that I know that I'm missing some, you know, and, but also we, because we do also cover our correctional health facility here in Dallas County, which houses between six and thousand, seven thousand inmates. 
Um, that has a whole different way of violence when it comes to lateral violence, which may come, unfortunately, from the, the law enforcement end, but also the inmates. It's very different that you will see in an ambulatory setting. That's very different than what you will see in a hospital. Yeah. You know, it, it is just fascinating when you think about just the breadth of this issue, but people go into healthcare because they want to, they want to make a difference. They want to take care of people. Um, I think many times that's why we see some underreporting too. Um, some folks, and I think this is changing, but there's been in the past this feeling of this is part of my job and I've just got to figure out a way around it. And so I think that has contributed to, um, to certainly to us not realizing the full extent of the issue. So let's switch gears for a minute and talk a little bit about what type of injuries and um, effects do we see as a result of workplace violence? Well, as, as I mentioned earlier, some of the ones when it comes to some of the physical injuries that we've seen, I've seen broken femurs, um, broken, um, I, 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 you know, orbital injuries where people have been able to have lost their vision, um, broken arms, um, bite marks, you know, and when it comes to bite marks with um, the, the skin being pierced, having to undergo uh, testing for infectious diseases to see if that there's been any kind of transmission which causes the um, undue stress in itself. Um, some people have had their teeth knocked out. Um, it, just back injuries because of the ability, you know, for takedowns that may have gone south. Um, but but really, these can be debilitating injuries where some of these folks never come back to work. And we, we've experienced that here, even though we have um, support programs and follow up. Um, what we've identified even in our state is that, you know, even for workers' compensation, which we do work very closely with our colleagues in that space, is that psychological injury that comes out of it, whether it's the physical component, which is coupled with psychological, um, the psychological injury component, psychological injury is not even identified as um, an injury in our workers' comp state workers' compensation program. So that needs that is something that needs to be evaluated. Um, when it comes to the psychological component, um, and again, we work closely with workers' comp, but we've also been working closely with our human resources partners, where people have come, you know, put in for resignation because of the fear of continuing to work in, in certain areas. Where we've been successful in working with these individuals to move them to a different um, location for them to be able to work in a different spot. Um, one individual that comes to mind was a lady that had four, four boys and somebody had come in with a, you know, a pistol and she saw it in the area that she worked in. And she says, I can't work here anymore. I've got to go, you know, I've got to be able to go home and take care of my boys as a single mom. But we were successful in putting her in a different location, totally different from what she was doing and she's thriving. So kind of working to relocate people to, to be in a safer environment. But even when you had mentioned, you know, the component of it's part of the job, and this came up a couple of weeks ago when I was doing executive rounding on one of the inpatient uh, step-down units, and that was the exact same thing that came out of this individual's mouth was, you know what, the verbals are just part of the job. And we that has to be a huge mindset change, but no, it is not. And, you know, the male, female, the gender component, you know, 
um, does come into play here. And it's, and it's not a negative, but I think that sometimes the, the males can take more than sometimes the females can, and certainly cultural backgrounds as well. Um, there may be more of a, um, a, a I don't want to say a, a complacency, but people may, may take things much more seriously de- depending on the culture. And we have to be sensitive to that. And I know that the CDC and NIOSH, although I can't quote it, has put has looked at violence in some of their Department of Labor statistics on looking at the cultural component as to who's involved in violence events, too. So that, to me, and that I've seen very recently, is very interesting data, although I don't have enough knowledge to be able to, to, um, to, to um, reference it much further than that. Yeah. So you mentioned the CDC. I think most people know that that's the Centers for Disease Control. Can you just speak a, for a minute about NIOSH, just so folks know what that is? Sure. NIOSH is the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, um, and that and, and that aligns with the Centers for Disease Control. And, and certainly out of that is also the Occupational Health and Safety Administration, which, you know, wants to make sure that any workplace where where workers are are safe. And they have a general duty clause that that basically charges the organization that you have to provide a safe working environment in order for people to be able to feel safe there and to be able to get work done. So ultimately, um, organizations are charged with that regardless of what type of organization they are. And OSHA um, has come back and actually fined organizations for violations of workplace violence in in healthcare. We've seen that more much more recently. Um, I, you know, the regular the regulatory bodies need to be there. I mean, the general duty clause has been out there for a long time. But you've seen um, CMS come out in in late 2022 or 2021 um, with their expectations of how to manage workplace violence as from a federal oversight agency. And then, well, some, well, some, many of the, the the accreditation agencies like the Joint Commission came out January of 2022 with their standards and expectations, which cover probably, I think, three or four different, different chapters, leadership, um, environmental safety. Um, uh, human resources on, on training, you know, when it comes to there's multiple chapters that cover different areas of, of the higher levels in the organization to make sure that the, the organization has safe working environments for their employees. Oh, thanks for clarifying that. You know, it's just it's fascinating. You know, we've had so much discussion about workforce shortages, uh, nursing physicians, uh, allied health, um, all types of healthcare workers. And I, you know, I don't know if people realize and and you've highlighted that how much that this this issue of workplace violence contributes to and ties into that. So it just it highlights the importance of focusing on this for obviously the right thing to do, but also because it does impact um, our workforce if people are, are truly leaving their jobs because of this issue. And and one of the things you know it, it's kind of like a, a very a very fine line to 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 walk, but. I'm not sure how much of this is taught in nursing schools or medical schools or allied health. I think that there is a need to provide some information out there, not to scare them, not to have them leave um, school as a student, but to prepare them and arm them for what may be encountered. You know, and and for one of the grants that I had received um, from the Texas Workforce Studies for Nursing, we did provide education to a local nursing school here in the Dallas area during COVID. And um, 
to, you know, to kind of test the waters to see. And there was a lot of really good feedback, but I don't know how prevalent that is in bringing this information to the student level so that they know when they go to do clinicals, um, you know, regardless of what role they, what professional role they are in, um, it arms them with information as to how to react. Do we train de-escalation in, in every area now, not just in the high risk, the known high risk areas? Yeah. You know, I think the other thing that's highlighted here is it's not a, it's not all about, I mean, of course, it's about keeping our, our, our healthcare workers and, and providers safe, but it's really about creating a safe environment for everyone. You know, it's about that whole culture of safety. It's very hard to focus on the safety of your patient if you don't feel safe yourself. It's also very difficult if patients are witnessing this. And frankly, I think many times when we've seen incidents, it happens in the heat of the moment and that individual feels very bad about that. In, not in all cases, of course, but in many cases, um, mm -hmm. you know, down the road. So lots of things that we need to consider as we address this. Um, but one thing, just to, to kind of wrap things up, what effect do you think overall workplace violence is having on our healthcare organizations and what can we do to strengthen um, our prevention efforts uh, towards uh, workplace violence? I think it's having a huge impact. Um, and I think it, it is a, um, it, 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 it's individualized, but it has this blanket, this blanketing effect. Um, we have a, a peer support program that we've had in place for four, a little of about four and a half years. And we've seen the, the theme of the, of the focus theme every year change. And this last year we've been focused on violence and it's the collateral that the, that the team members are experiencing from their own team member that's been hurt. So it's having a huge impact in that people are leaving. Um, they're they're finding other other jobs to be able to manage, you know. And some of them that may have managed in one income during COVID have said, you know what, this is not for me. And even spouses have said, I don't want you to go back in there. Um, but is there? you know, at the national level, like the state of Texas just implemented a workplace violence law that went, that went into effect on September 1, where hospitals have to enact certain elements of that law, but, but it also has a huger penalty to individuals who, in, who hurt any healthcare worker, not just clinicians, nurses, and physicians, okay. um, where it's now a third degree felony. It's, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Do they have enough jail jail time room for for people like this? Because I don't think that they really know how this is going to impact. But um, you know, is there some structure? I think I know that I have um, another full time job, but I'm managing this. Do we have people truly devoted to this in every organization with a structure, um, a template? Um, that encompasses several several people when it comes to the psychological component, the the hiring component, the management post event um, component, workers' compensation. Um, I mean, I'm not advocating, but I think that we need to have something similar to what maybe a compliant program is required to have for the OIG. That's how kind of I, I equate this now because this is getting to truly be a fever at a fever pitch. Who's going to be taking care of us? And you know, when you think about 
the elements of what a program would look like, we, we started to bring, bring in the trauma-informed component, realizing that you have to think that everybody that you're encountering has had some type of trauma, whether it's a healthcare person or whether it's a patient. But how do you approach both, both individuals in those situations to really think about them holistically? Like when we've gone to terminate patients from our system, we've gone to really look at the trauma side of the individual, which, you know, in some cases, my heart bleeds for them. And, and so sometimes what, what we are doing is inducing their behavior because we don't know and we can't see that trauma end. So it's kind of opening up that Pandora's box and, and, and giving some visibility as to their history so that we can manage around that, but incorporate that into the, the plan of care, which technically sometimes that's been hidden. And we only see one side and that's what we see outwardly. Right. I, I think that's a great point. I think using a trauma-informed care approach is going to really change change the way we approach this, but it also requires a tremendous amount of training for people so that they know how to approach individuals and meet them where they're at. And hopefully, I think that's where we're going to get to the point of prevention, where we'll really begin to see this. So um, I, I also will comment, there's, there's some federal legislation also on the criminalization of uh, workplace violence toward healthcare workers. I think this is good to publicize. I'm not sure because so many of these things happen in the moment um, that it, it prevents, but it, it certainly is shining this spotlight on this very significant problem. And Karen, I just want to thank you today for highlighting and shining your spotlight on it for us, sharing your knowledge and your experience with us. Um, I think it is so important and, um, you know, the work you're doing is tremendous. So many thanks. And to our listeners, thank you for joining me on today's podcast. Our intention is really with this series to raise awareness, but also to have you be encouraged and inspired by the great work that's being done by, by uh, professionals such as Karen. Um, so together we can bring awareness and we can bring solutions to end workplace violence. And I'm looking forward to you joining me uh, next time on this podcast series. Thank you. Thank you.